You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. We're going to start a new series today. Uh, I was kind of over the beach, and I'm sure Lance wouldn't mind that. Um, and uh, so we just kind of wrapped up the beach in, in a couple weeks and shifted some things around in our planning uh, just to prepare for an event I have coming up in October. Uh, my wife is uh, very pregnant, and um, so we, we're expecting boy number two coming in October. So shifting some planning and some series series is, 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 is around. And uh, we're going to start a new series today called Biosphere. And this is going to be very important for us over these next three weeks after today. Because this series, and I'll say it again in a bit, because I wrote it down to say it in a bit. Um, This series is going to be very important because it's not just for us. This is about us. And this is a unique series than probably anything else we've, we've done prior to this. Originally, I had this series called Church and Culture. And I was going to be talking about how the church is supposed to fit into the world-ish. And the more I thought and prayed on that, that idea went out pretty quickly. Because the church, obviously, is not supposed to fit into the world. And I was going to try to, you know, address how how the church um, deals with socio, you know, uh, things that are going on there, politics and things, and, and no one wants to talk about that in church today. So, this is going to be important because this talks about what's going on in here, in you and in me and in this space. And so that's where the biosphere idea came out of. Because if you don't know what a biosphere is... Technically, the biosphere is is one of the four layers that surround the earth along with the lithosphere, which is rock, the hydrosphere, which is water, and the one word you probably do know, atmosphere, which is our air. So you, you, you get the lithosphere and the hydrosphere, which is all the oceans and waters, and the atmosphere, and you put them all together, and now you have what's called a biosphere. And this is a, a, an environment where life can happen. Scientists also often say that if you think of the, the earth like an apple, the peel is the very thin layer where we live. It's like the biosphere that, that can inhabit life. And it'll go up to, you know, you know maybe let's call it 10,000 feet, you know, and that's it. Beyond that, our atmosphere gets really thin, and so that no, no life up there. And so this biosphere is really important for this series and I'll talk about that why in a minute. First, I want to tell you a story because it helps shape and impact me. When I was growing up here in Melbourne, Florida, I went to Creel Elementary School. Anyone, anyone know Creel? Yay! Two, two people know Creel? My Creolites? That sounds weird. I went to Creel Elementary School and uh, we were in the gifted program. They had a gifted program. I don't know if they have a gifted program now. Anyone go in the gifted program and it was weird because all the other kids thought you just goofed off two days a week in these other rooms. And they were pretty much right. Um, 
and we would go into these these different types of classrooms for a couple days a week, and uh, we we do building and crafts, and we would you know Mr. Coffee was there. His name was Mr. Coffee. How cool is that? Uh, and we would build boats and sail them in the in, in the rivers, the Banana River. I still remember my boat. It was called the Quasi Wabbit, uh, and we had this little pontoon sailboat that we built. We would build these uh, these cars to go down ramps that we would ride in it, and like really cool stuff. One of the f- greatest things we did though in the gifted program was with a lady I'll never forget. Her name was Mrs. Donald. So we had Mrs. Donald and Mr. Coffee. A very gifted program. Anyway, Mrs. Donald, and she was kind of like a, uh, we'll call her a botanist. We'll call her that. And Creole Elementary School had a greenhouse on its property. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone ever been been there? It it may not exist anymore. I I don't even know. I know the playground I grew up doesn't exist. That, That thing was awesome. That's why you wanted to go to Creole Elementary School, that playground. And so there was a greenhouse there with Mrs. Donald, and it really, looking back on it now, I just went in there and you know sucked aphids into a little glass jar, you know, to try to get them off the plants. Um, it had a filter on one end, so it wasn't totally disgusting. You know, you would kind of vacuum, suck in the aphid, go in a little jar, and all these little bugs and stuff to keep it off the plant. And, and you'd pinch the suckers off the tomato plants that grow up in between. She taught us all this kind of stuff about how to grow plants. And we hydroponics and strawberries, a lot of tomatoes. And looking back on it now, like I said, I, I, I didn't understand the formative impact that some of those things had on my life, and I'm thankful for it. Because now as we prepare for this series, I'm, I'm reflecting back on my greenhouse days, on my gifted program days at Creole with Mrs. Donald, and, and thinking back on when I was then outside of that, I, I would grow up and, and catch lizards and shoeboxes. You know, outside, anyone else ever do that? And I, I like, and I went way beyond just catching the lizard. My mom will tell you, I like, I made the Ritz Carlton of environments in the shoebox for my lizards, and you know, little plants over here and rocks over there, a little little dish of water. It annoys my wife now because um, if I find a lizard in the house, she is very, get out, get it out, and I'm like very much save it, give it water, and let it like put it back outside gently. And uh, jokingly called me the lizard whisperer a few times. Um, and I just love these little terrariums. And, and we, you, you take a, a, like a, a, just a plastic solo cup, you know, and you put one on, on top and one on, on the bottom and just fill it. And you put a little bit of water in there and tape it together. And you see this little environment, this little ecosystem just exist. And that's what this series is really kind of talking about. Because science has shown us that, that we can create a livable habitat almost anywhere on planet Earth by developing basically miniature habitats. Little terrariums where people and life can live despite no life outside of that. One of the coolest examples of this is what's called Biosphere 2. Anyone heard of this? Thank you, Paul. The wolves. There's, there they are. Biosphere 2 is out in Oracle, Arizona. It's in the middle of the Arizona desert. And they created, back in 1991, they built a three and a half 
steel, three and a half acres, steel and glass enclosed facility with multiple different habitats inside. There's a marshland, there's a miniature ocean with rocking tides, like back and forth, you know, from machines. There's agricultural plants, there's rainforest, there's savanna, all inside this three and a half acre enclosed and sealed dome. That's pretty cool, right? So in the middle of the desert, oh, it's so hot, we think it's bad here, we should go out there, right? So in the middle of the desert, you're walking up and all of a sudden, oh, here it is, this biosphere too, where despite being in the middle of an arid, dry desert, there is life. And not just life, like gorgeous, huge green trees, and like mist and just everywhere. One of the most foolish things they did was attempt to duplicate this for what it would be like to live on another planet. And so they took eight people and they locked them in there for two years. Two years, yeah. It didn't work out so well. Uh, They tried it again, I think, in 1994. That lasted for six months. And things break down. I'll be coming back to that on a later week. So the biosphere, again, is, is the sum of all of these parts. It's the rock, the lithosphere. It's the hydrosphere, all the water. And it's the atmosphere, the air that we are breathing in. And again, this series is important for us because not only is it for us, it's about us. And we're talking about the environment that you and I create here for the worship of God. For the building up of each other. And for the refreshment and resting place for the people who come in our doors from the desert. Does this metaphor make sense? Are you tracking with me on this just enough? Because I really just want to just barely scratch the surface of it today. So that we can dive a lot deeper over the next following weeks. Because if we don't understand the biosphere that exists here. The atmosphere that you and I create by being living organisms for a holy God. We're going to miss the whole point of this series. And you will be very bored. Maybe you're bored already. That's fine. You're going to be more bored. There's a few harsh truths I want to share with you before we read a whole bunch of scriptures. Our culture of a church is the environment. So when we're talking about a biosphere, the culture that you and I are a part of here really matters. And just like a biosphere, our culture is the sum of a few different things. It's our our interacting values, the things that we as a church or as individuals think are important. Do we think children's ministries are important? Yes, no? It's okay to raise your hands. Yeah, okay. That's probably going to be in our values. Do we, do we think um, driving race cars is important for us as a church? Not at this moment, but it could be, right? That could be fun. Race car ministry. I'm about that. Right? But there are things that are going to be a part of our DNA that we're going to value. Valuing children's ministries. Valuing excellence and giving our best to God in worship. Valuing students and youth. And helping giving those, those kids and, and fortunate Adult volunteers, a wonderful experience this week so that they can grow closer to God as well. Hosting our first ever VBS. Like, we've never done VBS as True Life Church before. And I'm really excited for it. Plus, I'm not involved in the planning of it. 
So I'm super excited. So it's a combination of our interacting values. It's also our thoughts. The things that we think. Usually these involve the things we think about someone else. In our biosphere. This is where things are going to start getting tough. Because a lot of times if we're honest with ourselves. We're not thinking the best thoughts about other people in our environment. Are we? Like we might not say them. Or you may. But they're still bouncing around up in your brain. What about attitudes? Anyone ever met anybody with a bad attitude? Okay. Has, has anyone not met someone with a bad attitude? Let's put it that way. So if all the hands went up, let's do the math here. If everyone in this room knows someone with a bad attitude, it could be you. <laughs> it could be you. So it's our attitudes, the, the way we roll out of the bed in the morning, how, how we show up here. Hey, how's your morning? Great. Missing the World Cup. Yeah, that game's on right now, I guess, in UK time. I know people who aren't here because of it. Right, we should have multi, just multi-screened it up here in the back, right? A little, a little ticker at the bottom. It's also a combination of our spiritual maturity. And this one really matters. We're going to be talking more about this on another week. But this one really matters. How, how we handle tough situations. How much we pray or don't. How much we read the Word of God or don't. How much we worship alone. Without the need of a whole band and lights and whatever. Because you can. But do you? Spiritual maturity is, is huge here. It's also a combination of our actions. The things we do. So all these things are... are Interacting values, thoughts, attitudes, spiritual maturity, and actions define what is our culture. A few things about culture we need to understand because we're talking about the biosphere that exists here for you and I as our church. See, a healthy church culture allows the uniqueness of our DNA, the things that we value, the things that we think are important, our ministries and programs, to shine through. They let your spiritual gifts be apparent, not for other people, but for God's glory. Because it's very obvious when someone's serving in the right place, isn't it? Like, you don't want me in children's ministry. I have one to deal with at home. That's plenty. We're about to have two. Lord, help me. Right? You may not want me serving in youth ministry. Right? You may not want me here, but I'm here right now, okay? I know looking across at our band, talented people, there's, it's very obvious when, when we've got the people serving in the right place. It's also painfully obvious when people are serving in the wrong place, right? And so if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, fear not. We're actually doing a, um, a four-week Monday night small group uh, starting the first Monday in August. I think it's August 5th. You can actually sign up uh, on our app for that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, or it's been a long time, we're going to be diving into 1 Corinthians 12 and looking at a lot of different spiritual gifts, and uh, it's going to be really cool. Anyway, uh, it allows our 
uniqueness, both of you as an individual and as a church, to shine through. Nothing about our church culture. Bad culture will crush good ministry and programs every time. Have you ever visited another church, or maybe, hopefully not, even this church, but you walked into this place and it seemed like they had everything put together. Maybe they had nice facilities, maybe the, the marketing or branding or whatever, the, the bulletin was awesomely done. You're like, we need a bulletin like this, this bulletin is awesome. You know, and, and maybe, uh, maybe the people were super, super friendly, but only at the door, because once you got through the doors, something changed. And you feel it like deep down inside. You know what I'm talking about? Because you, you basically, you enter their biosphere. Air's a little funky. Something tastes weird. Maybe it's that nasty church coffee every church has. Right? Maybe, maybe no one said hi to you at all. Anyone ever been to a church where no one said hi to you? I have. Yeah. Isn't that sad? Look how many, look how many hands just went up. The biosphere is broken. So that church might seem like it's great children's ministries or great youth ministries or maybe the pastor is a great speaker or maybe it's just really comfortable or maybe they don't expect anything from you. And it's just a great place to sit and be a number of like 4,715. But something in the culture is broken. And you know it. And it doesn't matter how good their programs or ministries are if the culture is bad. And so if our culture is bad as a church, we're in trouble. Another thing about culture. Culture is more important than strategy. So we can plan to do a lot of great things. We can pursue God. But if we're not pursuing Him with the right things of a culture, which, which remember make up our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, if we're not pursuing God with those things, being of sound mind and right heart, again, our culture is bad. So I have a bunch of lost people going where they think God's telling them to go. Might as well call us the Israelites. Because we're going to wander for a while. Another thing about culture, size is irrelevant. You can have a very healthy culture with 40 people. And also a very unhealthy culture with 4,000. And it can also work the other way. You can have a very healthy culture with 4,000 people. And also a very unhealthy culture with 40. Because it's the collection of all the hearts, all the intentions, all the actions that come together. We're the body of Christ. Paul reminds us of this. Each coming together with our own unique gifts. Finally, another harsh truth about culture. Anyone ever heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people? I've found that to be pretty true. Hurt people, people who are hurt, will often hurt someone else. But if that's true, then the opposite also has to be true. If hurt people hurt people, therefore, loved people, love, love people. If you are loved, you're going to do a better job loving someone else. And this is why it's so great, because the gospel that you and I have tells us that there is a God who loves us. And so you and I should wake up every single day and come through these doors when we do, knowing we're loved. And when we're loved, we're going to love on someone else 
better. And so what we find in most church biospheres is that when there's a culture problem, there's also an understanding of the gospel problem. Because the church that will mistreat someone and hurt someone doesn't know that they are loved and should be operating out of love. Does this make sense? So when you and I come in, we're coming in feeling loved, knowing God loves us. The person who's coming in, we say, God loves that person too. And God has shown me what love is, so I know how to love that person. And maybe they need a hug, or a handshake, or to hear God loves you. Maybe they need a place to be involved, or maybe they need a place to rest. And we can love them in those ways. And the melodic line of the entire Bible, as we're talking about church and biospheres and cultures, is, is showing us God's desire to have a people, a church, a group, a tribe, a nation. He, God's wanting a people to where He can reveal His glory to and display His glory through. I'll say that one more time. The entire line of the melodic line of the Bible is God wanting a people where He can He can display His glory to and say, Look how much I love you. Yes, look how powerful and awesome and majestic and omnipotent I am. And also let me display my glory through you so that other people can know. And so the weight on our shoulders as a church is very important. Because we are a biosphere in the middle of a desert. And so we're not going to spend so much time focusing on the out there. Because we know what the desert looks like, right? If you're sitting here, you are probably out in that desert for a long time. Years. Months. Before you, you not just found us. That's not coming here, but you found Jesus. Jesus is life. And what we want to do in our biosphere is enable that life to flourish and grow. But it requires something of us. Turn with me, if you will, into the book of Psalm. Psalm chapter 63, verse 1 through 4. We've got six scriptures we're going to look at briefly today. Psalm 63, verses 1 through 4. And David writes, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, which is, if you've ever seen it, is a desert, a not fun place. says, O oh God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And he's writing this knowing he's in a dry and weary land with no water. And he's not thirsting for water. Notice what he's thirsting for. He's thirsting for God. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. And at one point of your journey, this was you. And maybe it needs to be you again today. Saying, you know what? I've been thirsting after the wrong things. I might be coming here, but I'm, I'm not really changing my life. I, I give an hour and a half or whatever on Sunday morning. I, I go to church, and then that's it. 
And I'm not reading the Word of God after that. I'm not praying outside of that. I'm not sharing the Gospel outside of that. I'm not trying to make disciples outside of that. We need to come out of the desert seeking God first and foremost. And I don't know... Let me put it this way. I think it's hard for us as Americans. Because we have it so easy. I've heard the, was it the top 3% of the world have a house for their car? It's called a garage. So if you have a garage or a place to park your car, like you're in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in the world. We really don't know what it's like to be in a desert. Not when you can go through a McDonald's drive-thru or get government help or assistance or just rely on your 401k or pension plan for your retirement. Ah, everything's all set. A lot of us don't know what it's really like to want, to be in need. David writes that God's love is better than life. I'm not sure we would write that in 2019 in America. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 35. Lately, I've been having a few conversations with people here at our church, and we've been talking about prophecies. So we've been in uh, Daniel, and I've been looking at Daniel again, and then looking at several other prophecies and it led me here. And Isaiah is, is writing this. And at least for me, the entire time I've ever read this, it was under the assumption that this was for Israel. I read it again this week with fresh eyes. And I've got to share this with you. Let's pretend it's not. Let's read it about today. It says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. And I want to pause here real quick. This is in the middle of the desert and there's going to be rejoicing and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. So strengthen the weak hands. Build each other up. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will, he will come and save you. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Where it doesn't make sense for there to be water, there's water and life. And the burning sand shall become a pool. And the thirsty ground springs of water. And the haunt of jackals where they lie down, which is a nasty place. Anyone ever seen the Lion King, you know, where the hyenas hang out? It's not a, it's not a fun place, right? But in that place... Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. In that place, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway, get this, verse 8. A highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. We know what Jesus said He was, right? I am 
the way, the truth, the life. And the early, early disciples, they weren't called Christians. They were called members of the way, okay? There would be a way there. Unclean shall not pass over. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they're fools, they shall not go astray. I find comfort in that verse. In God's love, it's like, even if you're an idiot, even if you're married and you say the stupidest thing to your wife, and you're like, I did it again. It's only 20 minutes ago. God's love still surpasses it all. And there's a way that we're not going to go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it, and they shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Let's keep this there in, in perspective. This there is the stream and the pool in the middle of a desert. This is where he's talking about. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return. And come to Zion with singing, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I think that's for us. Like, I think that's for us, like, right now. Because what Isaiah actually does here is he paints a perfect picture of what a church biosphere should be, should look like. It should be in the middle of a desert. With refuge and healing and peace and rest. Water. Clean air. (sighs) Because out there is tough. Inside the biosphere, it's all made up of living organisms. Plants, trees, bushes, shrubs, agricultural things, all that kind of stuff. Living organisms. Much as you and I are living organisms in here creating the biosphere that exists. And if you and I are going to be, if you will, plants or living things inside this biosphere, what we do... What we think and what we say and how we act really matters, doesn't it? Romans 12.2, and you don't have to turn there, but Romans 12.2 says, Don't be conformed to this world. Don't look like the desert. There's enough of that out there. Don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. This is one of the reasons, like I said, we switched it from church and culture. It's not church and culture, it's just church culture. Because what we do in here really matters. Because this is the only place that a lot of people in a desert can find what they're really looking for. And what's dangerous for us is when we try to make our church look like the world. It's also dangerous when we come in acting like the world does into the church. 1 Peter chapter 2. He writes, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love it because there's a little slight there. It's like, if you've even tried this, you would know. 
And some of us have to grow up. That's what this series is kind of going to be hopefully pushing for some of us. Because it breaks my heart as your pastor when I'm on Facebook and I see a church person who I know post a meme or a picture or a comment with graphic or foul language. That breaks my heart. We, we, we should be better than that, right? There's nothing uplifting about that. There's nothing encouraging about that. It breaks my heart when I see church people arguing with each other in a way that is not biblical. It breaks my heart. Because the world is coming in they're like, oh, they're just... That's why the world thinks the church is hypocrites. Because they act like the world does. Like, well, you know better than I am. You're doing the same things they're doing. And the mantle of responsibility that you and I shoulder together is so important. Because we are all called to a higher standard. A lot of people put a lot of pressure on the pastor. Well, he's the one up there. I'm no more holy than you are. And no less. It's not born on on my shoulders alone. We are the church. Men, you're pastors of your own families. How are you doing? People are coming here and expecting to see something different. Are they getting it? Are we getting it? He continues, verse 4, as you, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race. You, true life church, a royal priesthood. You, true life church, a holy nation. A people For His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness, out of the desert, into this biosphere, into the church, into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people. I didn't know you, you didn't know me. Our our past may have never intersected. But God has put us together in this biosphere, in this place, in this time, for a purpose. Once you had not received mercy... But now you have received mercy. Brothers and sisters, we don't don't take this to heart enough. We are a royal priesthood, a people set apart. Teenagers, you should be setting the standard for what it looks like to be a God-fearing teenager in your culture. In your schools, in your places, because they don't know. People in your workplace, you should be around the water cooler or the gospel and sharing the gospel. It's great to talk about the football game from last year. Talk about eternity. It matters. We 
bear this weight of responsibility. We are a holy people. A royal priesthood, a tribe, a nation set apart. How set apart are we? I'm actually going to go to, I'm going to cut off one more scripture for time because this last one's going to say it well enough because uh, Jesus said it. So we'll end there. John chapter 17. Jesus had spoken these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Verse 3, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I'm reading this because we're going to get to verse 15 and the ball is going to drop. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world even existed. He's saying this before the cross. I manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Verse 9, Jesus is praying for you and me here today. I am praying for them because we are included in this number. I am not praying for the world but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus is praying for unity in the church. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus doesn't want to remove our biosphere from the desert. He's like, no, you're exactly where you need to be. It might be tough. The standards might be a little bit different. The expectations might be a little bit higher. Because depending on the desert you're in, that's harder for some of us. Jesus isn't trying to take the biosphere out of the desert. Nor should he try to move us from exactly where we're at today. So if we're not going to move, we're not going to leave Melbourne, we're not going to go to a safe place, not that this is unsafe. We're exactly where we need to be. And you're going to leave here today in a few minutes, and you're going to go back out into the desert. How much of the biosphere are you taking with you? And what are you bringing back? For next week. Y'all, church culture matters. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the rock, the lithosphere, 
that we as a church are built upon or should be in your own personal lives. We're going to be looking at the hydrosphere, the water of life that is Jesus Christ and why that matters here and now. And the atmosphere, what we're breathing in, what we're breathing out. Because it's not just oxygen. Kind of excited to go where this series is going to end up leading us. I want to invite the band back up. We're going to close with a song. I want to pray for us as they come up because, again, this is a this is a raise the bar series for us as a church. I don't say this often. Actually, I don't know if I've ever said this. Um, I really feel like God's going to put something on your heart during this last song, or maybe He already has. And He's going to call something through the Holy Spirit out of your life and say, you know what, that's part of the world, and it needs to end in my biosphere. It needs to end in this environment. I won't act that way anymore. I won't say those things anymore. I won't post those things anymore. I won't hurt someone else anymore. I will love more than I have before. He's going to call something out on you. I just want you to be receptive to what that is. Because it's probably going to be something tough to hear. And if you're just sitting there during this next time, you're like, I don't really think I need to change anything. Be very, be very, very careful. It's wabbit season. God's, gonna, God's wanting us all to grow closer to Him. Farther away from the sin, the hypocrisy, the evil and stuff that can endanger our biosphere if we let it. What you say matters. How you respond matters. How you love people matters. And my heart is excited for this next few months going into December because I see a church that loves people better than any church in Melbourne is loving people right now. You know who's going to be doing that loving? Y'all. Us. All of us. Together. I see a church that's growing not just to fill seats, but to fill hearts. I see a church that's not just concerned so much about growing, but instead sending. Not how many people can we fill in this place, how many people can we send out to spread the Word of God. There are people outside of these doors in the desert. And you and I have two responsibilities as we leave today. Improve our biosphere, number one. Number two, go find someone in the desert. Go find someone in the desert. Because they need to know what love and life looks like. And if we're honest, they're not going to find it in us. That's not why we're gathered here together every Sunday. They're going to find it in Him. And if you and I do a better job of of being a signpost, a guideline, so we say, hey, this guy is for real. Like Lance said earlier, Jesus is a big deal. 
And I'm not perfect and our church isn't perfect, but here's a guaranteed place where people in the desert can find life. 